0: Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message.
1: What's up, 12 Stone? Happy summer. Welcome to the Berry House. I promise it doesn't always look like this. My wife's going to kill me for letting you see it like this. But we are in the process of moving, and moving is the worst. There it is. I want to show you guys this here in a second. I don't know what y'all are doing for your summertime, but this is our summer. What's up, fam? How y'all doing? Hi. Good to see y'all. Oh, goodness. This is our life right now. You guys excited to move? Sort of? You'll get excited. All right, love you guys so some of y'all well there goes our glasses that's cool uh so some of y'all you're doing disney and that's great some of y'all are going to the beach good for you this is what we're doing we're packing boxes and as a part of our packing i found all of our old family photo albums maybe you guys know what i'm talking about you hopefully have some of these if you're older like like i am you actually have real pictures this is luke's photo album it sort of documents every month of his life from zero to his first year it's awesome we went back through these and family photo albums are a beautiful thing it actually reminds me on vacation this year we actually got a week away and uh, we were watching a movie on our apple tv and what happened was we paused it mid-movie to go get snacks in the kitchen all that kind of fun stuff we came back and our screensaver was family photos just scrolling on the screen so we walked back to the couch and and we see all these old memories of our family and what we did is we sort of took a detour from the movie and jumped into the rabbit trail and we went and looked in our photo album We went back and looked at all the old pictures from the past 15 years where we saw me holding Luke for the first time at the hospital and then Luke meeting Lizzie for the first time and then Luke and Lizzie meeting Lincoln. We watched videos of them playing together, so nice, and Luke holding Lizzie as a baby and videos of me sort of tickling and playing with the kids and throwing them around. It was awesome. But what happened in that moment was it sort of messed me up a little bit, messed the kids up a little bit in a good way. Like, for the next two or three hours, our kids gave us a reprieve from picking all on each other all over the place because they sort of remembered what they used to be like. Like, they remembered how kind they were to each other as kids, and they were, like, awesome for a good two hours. But it messed me up. Like, it reminded me, man, I used to laugh a lot more with the kids. I used to enjoy my time with them as a family. And it just sort of made—I got to I gotta live different. I got to get back to what I'm supposed to be as a dad in some ways. So here, here's what I discovered sometimes in order to move forward you actually have to move backward like you have to look back to move forward and that's sort of what we're doing this is not a a a reason for nostalgia this is a a reason for clarity we look back in order to move forward and that in great part is what we're doing over the next five weeks we're going to take a look at what is our church's family photo album the book of acts See, these these stories recorded in the book of Acts are not just random people. This is our family from the early church. We have roots all the way back. And what I think God wants to do in this series is God wants to allow us to look at five family photos from our early church family, and we look back in order to move forward. And so here we are in week one of the series, and we asked Pastor Trey from Snailville to jump in and teach. So would you help me welcome Pastor Trey?
2: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Twelve Stone. Really excited to be here today to kick off this study through the the New Testament book of Acts. You know, like Jason said, sometimes you have to look backward in order to move forward. So I thought I'd start with a fun example from my family. Uh, this is a picture of me with my parents and my siblings. When, when I was a kid, I'm the dashing uh, 13-year-old there popping his head up in the back with a backwards-fitted cap, the puka shell necklace. Some of you know what I'm talking about. That was a really, really strong fashion season, uh, wearing a Florida State hat, mind you. So this was me growing up with, with my family. Fast forward to just a couple of weeks ago, this is myself with my wife and, and our three boys. You know, family beach vacation when I was a kid, and we want to fight for something similar with that as, as an adult in my life. Notice that the Florida State theme does continue. So there are some values that are making it from my childhood into my adult life. You know you know what's interesting about looking back on, on family photos like that is they can be kind of lighthearted, right? We should laugh a little bit, should enjoy that. But looking backward on family photos and telling old family stories is also deeply meaningful because it reminds us of important things. It reminds us of, of values. For for me, as I think back on family vacation as a kid, you know what I remember? I don't remember a ton of the details. What I remember is having gone on vacation with my family. I remember that we went. I remember that my parents planned and worked hard and we would find an opportunity in the summer to get a hotel at some beach, usually on the Atlantic side of Florida, and we would go on a vacation together. So now as an adult, I fight for that same value with my wife in the life of our kids. See, family photos and stories like that can remind us of who we are and then help us move forward to who we want to be. And, and just like in, in our personal families, it is same for the church. It's same for our, our, our faith family. That sometimes we have to look backward in order to move forward. You see, as followers of Jesus, we are a part of a family, a huge family, billions of people across generations. And Acts, the book of Acts in the New Testament gives us snapshots of our first faith family. And learning from the book of Acts helps us move forward as a church today. So what do we mean, though, as as move forward as a church? For us at 12 Stone, there are a few things that PK and our leadership team have led us to, to, to be and who we'd like to be in the future. It starts with the idea that we are a because of Jesus church. Everything we do, Jesus is the center of the bullseye. We want to be a church that's rooted in prayer. Not just a church that talks about prayer, but a church that actually prays and that souls, families and communities would be transformed souls in that new people. People would come to saving faith in Jesus families, marriages, strengthened and parents supported as they raise their kids in our communities, that pressing needs around us would be met by the love of the church. Things like poverty and homelessness and child illiteracy and hunger. We also want to live as a faith family, right? We want to have good relationships here inside of the church where we love each other and serve each other and encourage each other to grow spiritually. Those are some of the things we're doing as a church as a whole, but, but we believe we, there's things that we can move forward towards as individuals in the church that we would move forward to because of Jesus in, in our families and in, and, in, and in your soul and in your faith and in your community See, we, we can paint a picture of, of where we want to be. Now, we're never going to get there. We're not going to reach perfection in this life, but we can take steps towards those values. And we can pretty easily trace our faith family roots back to the, to the book of Acts. You've heard of these uh, family ancestry research sites, 23andMe. Anybody done your 23andMe? Maybe you've done Ancestry.com and you've traced your family tree a little bit. Well, we want to check out where we fall In the lineage of Jesus in the early church. So this is kind of our church family tree. We hope this is encouraging to you. It starts with Jesus. And we begin there because Jesus lived. He died. He rose from the dead and he ascends to be with the father. And after Jesus ascends to be with the father, the the gospel goes forward in the leadership of the apostles. The apostles begin to share the gospel and thousands are getting saved all over the Middle East and into Asia and Europe and through the known world. And over the next couple of centuries, the early church is formed with what's often thought of as the ecumenical councils. Like These councils begin to organize the Christian faith and it begins to grow throughout the world to a point where the Holy Catholic Church is formed. Where Constantine, and uh, it's, it's legalized over the Roman Empire. Christianity becomes actually part of the fabric of the Roman Empire, and it continues to grow from there. But in 1054, there's what's known as the Great Schism, and there the Orthodox Church kind of branches out and creates its own branch of the tree. Think Greek and Eastern and Russian Orthodox, and then the Roman Catholic Church is formed. And it continues for a few hundred years until we get to this place that we refer to as the, 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 the Protestant Reformation, where a few men, Martin Luther being among them, begin to read the Bible in their own language. And they find that there's some things that maybe the church had forgotten. And so they reformed the church a little bit. And there's a Protestant Reformation. We move from Roman Catholic Church into uh, these branches of the Protestant Reformation. This is a little bit, by the way. For all any of you church history nerds are like, you're forgetting some steps. I know. Broad oversimplification a little bit to help us find our place in this tree. But there's these five branches of, of the church family tree that comes from the Protestant Reformation. Think Reformed, Lutheran, Anabaptist, or Baptist the Anglican branch, and Pentecostal, and then the branch of the Anglican church begins to kind of grow, where we eventually begin to see the birth of Methodism, which was led by a revival by John and, jo- uh, John and George Wesley. They begin to lead a revival, and people begin to get saved, and Methodism as a denomination forms. We soon see Wesleyan Methodism take root in the, the mid-1800s. Pause here on Wesleyan Methodism. One of the the main reasons it became a denomination was actually as an anti-slavery movement. How cool is that, that in our roots as a church, we have one of the first denominations that was formed to fight for the the beauty and the love and the value of every single human that could ever live. And so uh, Wesleyan Methodism is formed as an anti-slavery movement, which moves us into the 1960s, where our denomination, as it's currently understood, was formed as the Wesleyan Church. 1987, our senior pastor, Kevin Myers, plants Twelve Stone Church, which brings us to the current, us. We are here in this room, and now you can draw a direct line from us all the way down to the early church and the apostles and Jesus. Isn't that encouraging? We can look back on our church family, on our faith family, and there is a direct line from Jesus, from the Acts of the Apostles to us, to our church, to you. you know, this has to be Personal not just a big idea, not just corporate, that if you follow Jesus, you are part of the lineage of Jesus and of the apostles and of the faith family through the centuries. That we today, this is not an isolated gathering and an isolated moment in history, but we are a crucial part of this tapestry of a global Christian movement that has impacted billions of people. That this is the story that God has placed us in as his church. And Acts sets that up for us. So let's look a little bit at the background of the book of Acts. This will be important over the next five weeks that we know how to think about Acts and read the book of Acts. Acts tells the story of us. So this is not distant over there, different group of people. This is the story of us. Acts is a historical account, a true story written by Luke, who was a, was a physician and a historian. Luke, the same Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke. And Acts is, is not necessarily prescriptive. It's descriptive, meaning that it tells a story of what actually happened to a particular group of people at a particular time in history and how God moved in their lives. Here's what I mean by that. Acts is not primarily a rule book, but it's a storybook. We, you know, we read rules and stories differently. Rules command us, and the Bible has commands. But stories can inspire us. In this case, stories inspire us towards certain values. Here's what I mean by it. Uh, If I were to pull my family vacation picture back up here and we were to look at it together, uh, uh, here's what I hope you see. I hope you see the value. I hope you see the value of getting time away with fun and rest with your family. Here's what you shouldn't do. You shouldn't call me. You shouldn't email me and say, hey, uh, what beach did you go to? What hotel did you stay in? What room did you stay in? What restaurants did you visit? What week did you go? Because next year we're mimicking your vacation perfectly. That would just be super weird. And I don't want to be that, like, that's not exactly how it would work. No, you, you see where I'm going. That we should not read the book of Acts to, to mimic it uh, exactly. We should read it for the values that are there for us. Here, here's the truth. That The church has changed methods through the years, but the church has never changed its values. Knowing this helps us read and understand the book of Acts and Acts is an epic telling of our faith. Our faith is full of heroes and excitement and action. Acts has stories of massive revivals of communities and economies and nations being transformed by Jesus, Christians standing against opposition from enemies and governments and demons and Satan himself. There are miracles and and supernatural moves of God. There are stories of Christians suffering through torture and execution and shipwrecks and imprisonment, all the while being like, demonstrating that God gives us all the strength we need to stand in front of that type of, that type of, of opposition. I mean, you can think like this. Acts is, like all your favorite movie plots, like wrapped up into one telling of our faith. Think Born Identity meets Pirates of the Caribbean meets Avengers meets Gladiator and like Jesus is the greater Russell Crowe like that's that's what we're seeing happen in the Book of Acts. So today we're going to back up to Acts chapter two where we're going to look at the launch, the birth of the church. So in Acts chapter two, at the beginning of Acts, Jesus has recently risen from the dead. And then after a few weeks of spending time with his followers, he ascends to be with the Father in front of hundreds of eyewitnesses, leaving behind his disciples and his followers in Jerusalem. And they're waiting because Jesus has promised them that that God's presence is coming as the Holy Spirit and that they would have a role in launching this global movement and launching the church. So Jesus ascends and his followers are waiting and they're waiting for this spark. They're waiting for something to ignite the next stage in their journey. And as they're waiting, the Holy Spirit falls. The apostle Peter steps up and he boldly preaches the gospel and the faith family is formed. And from Acts chapter two, I think there are three distinct family values that help us and inspire us to move forward today. Today. So we're going to check out Acts chapter 2 first. We're going to look at the first ever gospel sermon preached by Peter. I'm going to bounce around Acts chapter 2 a little bit so we can get the idea of what Peter was preaching. Starting in Acts chapter 2 verse 14. It says... Then Peter stood up with the 11. Uh, another version that I, that I often read, it says that Peter was taking his stand with the 11. So that's kind of where I picture this Avengers assemble moment. Like the 12 disciples step up on a platform and they begin to preach the gospel with, with intentionality and with fury and, and, and fierce. And they're excited about what's about to happen because they know he takes his stand with the 11 that what they're about to be a part of is going to change the world. So Peter steps up with the 11 and he raises his voice and he dressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who are in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose, for it's only nine in the morning. Now, pause. (laughs) I'll have to unpack that a little bit more in a moment. But you know something interesting, probably something pretty fun is happening. If Peter has to clarify that at nine in the morning, starting a few verses later in verse 21, Peter says, And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Pause for just a second. This is very different than what the Jewish men and women listening would have understood about salvation. Peter is announcing a massive change that salvation is no longer based on the law, but on faith that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 22, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited to you by God, by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Verse 32, and God raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Verse 36, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this God made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And Peter said to the other apostles, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, What shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 41. This is beautiful. This is where things really begin to change. And those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3000 were added to their number that day. This is the, the birth of the Christian church. And what we learn here is that we are a family because of Jesus. We are a family because of Jesus. Our faith family is first and foremost built on the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is our foundation. This is our hope. This is our identity. That Jesus, fully man and fully God, came to this earth and lived perfectly. Without sin, therefore, there was no need to punish any sin in his life. Yet he willingly died in our place on the cross as if he had sinned to be the substitute for our punishment. And then he rose from the dead as a signal to all of creation that death could not and would not win. We go back to verse 24 of chapter 2 in the New American Standard Version. I just love the way it says this. But God raised him up again putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held by its power. Do you see how good this news is? Now, this is where the Christian church gets founded on this reality. So we can't miss the beauty of the gospel. We can't miss how it is the center of our faith family and, the, and how we move forward as a church community. I recently heard uh, a Scottish preacher named Alstar Begg present the gospel in a really simple but compelling way. And I'd like to to use that here. Alstar Begg sets up the scenario that if we were to die and go to heaven, we're stepping into heaven and there's an angel there waiting for us, and the angel has a question Why should you get to come in? Now, I don't know how you would answer that question. Standing there in front of heaven, how should you or, or why should you be able to come in? I, I think many of us would start with first person answers, right? We would start with this. Well, well I, I believed. Well, I, I lived a, a pretty good life or I read the Bible and I, I went to church. But here's, here's the thing. When answers start in the first person, they will always fall short. To help set this up, Alistair Begg, um, he, he says, think about the thief on the cross. Jesus was crucified in the middle of, of three crosses with a criminal on either side. And and these criminals, at one point, both of them were kind of chastising Jesus and cussing at Jesus. But then over the course of, of dying together on the cross, eventually one of the thieves on the cross, one of these criminals, notices that Jesus Christ is who Jesus said he was, the son of God. He, he turns to Jesus and he says, Jesus, remember me when you step into your kingdom, a simple but clear declaration of faith. And then Jesus turns to the thief and says, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. Man, I mean, think about this guy. What was it like for that guy to get to heaven? What was it like for that guy to step in front of an angel and be asked that question? Hey, why should you get to come in? I mean, he's maybe the most unqualified guy by religious standards to ever make it to heaven. I kind of picture this man starting a conversation with the angel, kind of like, "Uh, man, uh, dude, I, I I don't know." And the angel kind of going, "What do you what do you mean you don't know, dude? I don't know." The angel probably goes, "Go get his angel supervisor," and they start talking to the thief, like, "Dude, why are you here? Why should you get in?" And the thief starts. You start thinking, does he Does he have a good life to reflect back on? Well, no. Can he answer a ton of religious questions well? No. Can he unpack the deep theological terms like atonement and justification and baptism and and sanctification? No. Does he know much about church leadership and has he memorized a lot of verses in VBS when he was a kid? No. And so the angel probably getting frustrated a little bit like, dude, you're here. You made it. So something happened. Why should you be allowed in? And the thief goes, dude, I don't know. Here's what I know. The man on the middle cross said I could come. Alistair Begg, he says it that beautifully, that the gospel is summed up in this. The man on the middle cross said I can come. That's it. Think about it. Think about it. We won't be invited into heaven primarily for first-person reasons, but for third-person reasons, meaning he, it's him. It's Jesus. He lived and he died and he made a way for me. It was him and he made a way for our salvation. That's it. That's the only answer. The gospel is Jesus saves us and it's a gift. As the old hymn says, my sinless savior died so that my sinful soul could be counted free. For God, the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Salvation is a gift from Jesus. It's not earned It's not one, not from ourselves, it's Jesus. And all it takes from you and me and from anyone else is to place our faith in him. And when we place our faith in Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection, he says, you can come. And Peter steps up in front of Jewish men and women in Jerusalem, and this is what he preaches, and thousands are saved, and the Christian church is formed, because the gospel of Jesus changes everything. And the gospel also frees us up to be a faith family, because when you realize that you have found all the free approval you need in Jesus, it frees you up to be completely and fully accepted as you are in the church. There's no need to fake it with Jesus. so You don't have to fake it with anybody else. At the cross of Jesus, we are invited into relationship with God. Now in the church of Jesus, we are invited into relationship with each other. We are a family because of Jesus. It starts here. And the good news continues. Because just prior to Peter preaching the first gospel message, the Holy Spirit does come and falls on the people gathered in that same space. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us what we need to actually begin to live like a family. So in Acts chapter 2, back to the beginning of that chapter, we're going to start in verse 2. When the day of Pentecost came... Because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each one of us hears them in our native language? Pray for me as I try to read the names that are coming. Parthians, Medes, Eliamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Pause. This is what's happening. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, you've had too much wine. So we're back to that moment where Peter has to clarify that it's just 9 a.m. And so it's not that they're drunk. It's not that they've drank too much wine. Here's what's happening. The Holy Spirit has fallen and things are starting to get a little bit different. Things are starting to get a little bit crazy because uh, they were all speaking different languages. And in a moment, this moment that we now refer to as the birth of the church, Uh, People begin to hear everyone else speaking in their own native language. And the family takes on another value because we are a family where there are no strangers. We're a family where there are no strangers and strangers become family. Across nationalities and backgrounds and races and tribe, there there was previously this moment where they could not understand each other. But then the Holy Spirit comes and now they can understand each other. And more importantly, they can understand the gospel and respond to the offer of Jesus. I mean, picture this with me. It'd be like if you speak Spanish as your native language and I stepped up here today and I start teaching in like really fluent, clear Spanish and you're not even tripping up on my South Georgia accent anymore. That's like that's like how this moment would happen. And why is this moment like why is God choosing to to do that in this moment at the beginning of the church? It's because from the very origin of our faith family. One of God's chief pursuits is the unity of his church, of his children. God really wants his kids to get along. Parents, it's, it's summertime. Whew. And we love having our kids at home. Uh my wife and I we love having them at home. We love having them in the house all day, but you know what happens over time is they begin to what? They fight over and over and over again, and you think a moment of peace is it's a facade because in a moment it's gonna blow up again. My wife and I saw this quote on social media this past week that we had to amen like a thousand times. I'm gonna read it to you. It says, Summer is fun because instead of my kids having to wake up at six a.m. to rush around the house and get ready for school, they wake up at six a.m. and get to have the whole entire day to fight. Um This isn't wrong, is it? (laughs) You know, though that take is funny, (laughs) when it comes to relationships, we are all too aware how difficult it has become to be a unified people. But here at Pentecost, we embrace the reality that one of the first acts of God in the origin of the Christian church was to remove a barrier between people. The unity within the church was a a primary priority for God, not a secondary priority. And so now when the presence of God falls, even today, in rooms like this one, in lives like yours, just like he fell at Pentecost, he falls in a room today in a campus or across 12 stone home. And not only does he fall and his presence come into a room like this because he wants us to draw close to him, he wants us to draw close to each other. See, the presence of God forms the true faith family. And it's and it's this, it's the presence of God that will, be, that will help, us, help us unify. It won't be a new strategy or a talking point, certainly not tactics from secular thinking or virtues. Strangers become family, and families stay family in the presence of God. It's an overflow of people praying together, worshiping Jesus together, learning from scripture together, pursuing holiness together. And when that happens, God is not stingy with his presence. He is generous in showing up with his felt, experienced presence when we gather. And when God shows up, differences are diminished. Walls between people fall down, and a genuine love for each other begins to grow. We're a faith family. We're in this together, and the presence of God is what helps us live this way. And we begin to look further into the book of acts what does all this look like the last verses in the book of acts do a great job of illustrating what these first two values look like so if we're a church a family that's because of Jesus and we're a family where there are no strangers what does that look like in, in real life acts 2 verses 42 to 47 show us it says they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship almost take a moment and as i read this if you can picture this in your life Picture this in your friendships here at our church. What if this actually was how we lived? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to, to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. We're a family because of Jesus. We're a family where there are no strangers. We're also a family in everyday life. We're devoted to one another. Where we can serve one another where we can spend time with each other where we can eat together. We can be there with one another in the good moments and in the bad moments where our attention is on Jesus. But our attention is also on the needs and the lives of, of those around us. So so what defines the relationships? What defines the church that we see in those five verses at the end of the book of Acts? I come back to this this thing that we've been trying to teach our kids um, Uh, Whenever they're about to body slam each other, trying to get on the water slide at the beach, or they're about to go full battle royale over the iPad and whose turn it is to play. The new thing in our house is Minecraft. Whose turn is it to get 10 minutes at a time for Minecraft? They're about to fight. And we're going to, we're having this moment where we see kind of their selfish nature start to pop up. I say start to pop up. It's kind of always there, but it starts to pop up. And I turn to my oldest. He's kind of the one that we're working on the most right now. And I say, bear. Hildebrands are about what? He hangs his head a little bit because he doesn't see the power in this yet, but it's coming. He hangs his head a little bit and he says, Others first. I say, What? Others what? He says, First. He begins to to lean into that value, and and we have to, as as a family, we choose to make that something that we live by, a value of others first, and I think we have to make that personal decision to live according to that value, as the early church did, that we would live as others first. See, unhealthy family members show up to the family, and they think, me first. Unhealthy family members show up and think, hey, what's, what's in it for me? I'm at 12 stone church. What, what's what's in it for me? But healthy family members arrive to relationships like this. And they ask the question of, of what can I give? Healthy family members think others first. Now, I know this is really hard. I see it in myself. I see it in my kids. I Pause. I don't see it in my wife because she's absolutely perfect. But but we're prone to fight for ourselves, aren't we? to protect ourselves, to to look out for our needs. But a healthy family, a healthy faith family is marked by men and women and students and kids who, who show up in moments like this and think, no, you first begin to think things like this family is not about what's in it for me. This family is about what God has given me and how I can use it to bless others. Sit on that that statement with me again. That healthy family members show up to a church like this, whether a 12-stone home gathering or a campus, or maybe you're just watching online. And I would say that that our our family is going to be healthy as we start thinking things like this. No, 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 you first. This family is not first about what's in it for me, but what God has given me to bless others. Now, I know some of you may be feeling I don't know if I bring anything to the table for my church family, that you're in a a season of lack or need and you feel broken. But I would love to encourage you today to say no matter where you are and how hard life may feel, God has given you something that you can use to help somebody else around you. It doesn't have to be resources. Every single one of us has a sweet spot, has a role, has something to give that cannot be replaced by anyone else. I, pro- I promise that you have that role to play. That's individual. And then, of course, as a church, we've been able to be a part of a lot of really great things where I feel like Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47 are being lived out by our church. Last year, we provided literally tons, metric tons of food to help with food insecurity in our, in our community through knockout hunger. The pandemic hit, and we we scrambled together teams to create over 30,000 PPE medical protection for frontline medical workers as they began to care for sick men and women in our local hospitals. You may not know this, but we have care groups at our church that that are forming around families with foster kids to, to come alongside families who have foster kids to help with things like yard work and cooking meals, maybe to help celebrate Christmas and birthdays and maybe just to call a foster parent and say, how are you doing? Can I pray with you? So those are some of the things we're doing as a church. And, and so what we have to do as individuals is, is look at our lives, whether it's time or care or resources or connections or, or encouragement, everyone, every one of us has something that he or she can give to help build a really strong faith family at 12 stone. And so we start this week right here. We look at this picture of Acts chapter 2. I want to give you a really practical handhold, a a practical challenge over this next week. And we want to give you one of these at the end of every teaching over the next five weeks from the book of Acts. What is something we can learn from our looking back at the family photos of our church family in Acts to help us move forward as a church today? And, And here's where we'd love to go this week. Make a stranger feel like family this week. Make a stranger feel like family this week. It could be right after church today. You're gonna go out, you're gonna have some things that we're, we're gonna have, and you may be at your 12th Son home gathering, and, and you're gonna introduce yourself to somebody you don't know, and you're gonna ask them to tell you about themselves, and you're gonna learn more about them, you're gonna help them feel like family. It could be at work, you know somebody that has been near you, but you've never built a relationship, you're gonna help them feel like family. It could be your neighbor. Or you've been neighbors with them for a long time, but at the end of the, the driveway, you just say, hey, or you're taking the trash, you're checking the mailbox, and you're gonna stop and you're gonna ask a deeper question this time. Maybe it's, it's somebody that you've grown distant from. You're gonna call them and say, hey, we used to be close and I wanna, I wanna step back into our relationship. You fill in the blank for your context. We all know someone who we can make feel like family this week. And we'll move forward in this together. Look back to move forward to be a because of Jesus church by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, God with us and in us and through us doing our best to live as others first. So as I turn this over to the campuses, to 12th and home gatherings all over the country, I'm going to ask that we would pray for this, that we would pray that what was true in Acts, that the legacy and lineage of Acts and the apostles and Jesus himself Would come into to our church family, and it would be true of us today.
0: Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through twelve stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 stone church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories and make sure to tag 12 stone church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again. And we'll catch you on the next one.